It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM, our weekly opportunity to sit down with award-winning journalists from all over the East End to talk about the week's headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. Uh, We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27east.com, and Express Magazine. My co-host is Bill Sutton, who is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti, the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Uh, another uh, regular, Beth Young, who is the editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Good morning. And we welcome back Joe Workmeister, who has a new title now. He's now a staff writer at Newsday. Hey, Joe. Congratulations on the new gig. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, glad to be be back on back on the show. It's been 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 a few months for sure. Yeah, good 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 to have you back on for sure. So let's start with you. Um, you had a story this week that we also wrote about, which is uh, a lawsuit filed in Southampton Village by one village uh, official against another and against the village itself. And uh, this is uh, this is a fairly significant development, right, Joe? Yeah, so the the village administrator uh, for Southampton uh, has filed a a uh, civil lawsuit alleging uh, gender and age discrimination, uh, among some other accusations against the mayor, and uh, as I said, the village itself as well. And so we kind of just learned about this this week, and um, and you know it was interesting because the uh, the you know. Literally the day we were finding out about this, the village had a meeting that night, and uh, you know, and and so there's the mayor sitting there that night, you know, with his uh, you know, fellow board members uh, next to him. Who, it's not any great uh, secret that uh, they don't uh, think too fondly of him, and there's uh, some obvious obvious animosity on the board. And then this village administrator is sitting right there as well, and everyone's just kind of going about the the meeting. So it was very very kind of odd, strange uh, um, uh, situation, but. Um, yeah, the, you know the, this um, yeah, lawsuit has, I think, what, what you could, could say is some serious accusations in it, and um, uh, you know how it turns out, who's right, who's wrong. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you that right now. But um, but as you, you know, said, this, it's, uh, it's it's not happening in a vacuum. Charlene Kegel Betts, uh, the village administrator, filed this lawsuit at a time when the Southampton Village Board. Uh, is pretty much four to one against the mayor right now. In the in the last month or so, it's it's really turned very acrimonious. Yeah, I mean, you've because you've had this ongoing issue with the police chief coming in, and then um, you know the deputy commissioner at Suffolk uh, Suffolk County takes the job, uh, you know, with the mayor you know, objecting to it and voting against it, and then he um, then a couple of weeks later turns it down, and and now they're kind of back at square one, figuring out where to go. And um, so, and, and I mean, this seems to be, you know, I'm just kind of figuring this out, you know, having just this you know, Tuesday was the first time I had actually gone down to one of these village meetings. So I'm still getting used to all the, all the people here. And, um, uh, you know, it was interesting just seeing how many different things were popping up where they were kind of arguing amongst each other. And, and um, you know, they just came up with this resolution where the mayor has to uh, uh, basically notify the deputy um, mayor, if he's going to be out of town for more than 24 hours, and essentially they're saying this is in response to uh, D- December um, a December 23rd storm, where they said they couldn't get in, t- in touch with the mayor, and they're alleging that he was actually out of town on vacation and was um, uh, nowhere to be found. And the mayor completely denies that, says he was here working the whole time, and thinks that they got confused and. And um, he you know, he did tell me he did go on vacation, but it was after that storm had passed, and and so they were arguing about that. So I mean, you have all these different things that are going on, and then now there's this big lawsuit on top of everything. So you know, you yeah, I guess you start to wonder how can this uh, village effectively govern and, and get done what it needs to get done. So I mean, if I was a, you know a resident in the village, that's what I would be kind of concerned with at this point. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys are, you know a lot know a lot more of the kind of backstory to all this than, than I do as well. Bill, Bill, it deteriorated really quickly, didn't it, in the village? Uh, almost, almost overnight. Um, I mean, it, 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 it. So, so I mean, on the board, we're talking about you know Mayor Jesse Warren, and and he had pretty much had what what seemed to be a you know a 
a, a five member majority. I mean, there there was um, um, an, an election in in the spring, and former board member Bill Bill Manger um, came on, but they they were all seemed to to be getting along. It, it seemed that you know the people that were elected were you know over the last few years have, have been supporters of 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 the mayor and um and all that and then it just recently it just started it started blowing up it started um you know you saw the disagreements come up i, I think you know a little bit before the the police chief debacle um but i i mean i think that really tied a bow on it i mean and that was um um you know they had, as, as joe had said they had the um the four town board member or village board members other than than the mayor had called a special meeting um without telling a lot of people what was happening and and passed a resolution to you know to hire the police chief um with without the mayor's consent apparently he wasn't involved in um in that decision or was opposed to that decision and um and that really set the tone you know from that point on and and you know you see this lawsuit um come out and and it it, it seems it looks like there was a lot of um you know a lot of infighting and a lot of um acrimony at at village hall for for a while that maybe um you know wasn't um um you know presented to the public or wasn't you know um wasn't obvious to the public but but it seems like there's just been some disharmony there for for a while and now it just finally kind of blew up i'm glad river has nothing like that <laughs> <laughs> Do you, I have to like. Do you ever feel like you're covering like a, a board and, and and you're actually in a a Netflix comedy or something? Yeah, and, you know, yeah. Parks and Rec or something like that. Like, <laughs> like some of the things that go on just seem so unreal that and they're funny, but yet it's serious stuff. Like they're dealing with you know public trust and money and stuff. And but it's like it all. We often say to each other like. This is this is insane. What what well, you get done? You could you could you could turn it into a sitcom, but you would have to call it fiction because nobody would believe <laughs> that any of it was true. The the the, the speed of the shift is yeah. just amazing to me. How quickly everything sort of turned over. And Joe, the 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 lawsuit um, itself, uh, we read through it, and and it documents a, a, a lot of things. But it's interesting to me that that the mayor says all of that has been investigated by the village, that the village actually had hired someone to look into these allegations last year and concluded that none of it was actionable. Right. So, yeah, that's what's definitely interesting. So essentially, um, so going back to around September, they filed a notice of claim so that you, you, know, you have to, when you're suing a municipality, you have to file a notice of claim. Basically, basically gives them a chance to kind of be aware that a lawsuit could be coming, and then they have the chance to potentially look into it. And so that's kind of what they did. So they got the notice of claim, and then uh, basically hired um, this uh, former judge to uh, do an kind of internal investigation. And from what the mayor says, uh, that basically kind of cleared um, these accusations. But nobody's really seen that report yet, and. Um, and they, they won't release it, right? Yeah, cleared cleared may not be the way I would describe. That's part of the problem is, and I think, right. I think that's that's a point that's been made by the other side is that we haven't seen that report. It doesn't, you know, it may say that a lot of that stuff was founded, but just not actionable. And and I think that's that's the problem. And just just looking at the timeline of it, it had to have been done fairly quickly. And so you wonder how how thorough you know an investigation was it um it was just talking to a few people that were involved and kind of going off that or you know were you know was was anybody under oath you know that, that you know you might get under you know a deposition in a lawsuit or was um you know what kind of communications were examined emails text messages that sort of thing um you know so we don't we don't know without having seen that report so you you know it's it's not an available document right yet at this point yeah. that we know of, I guess. But, um, you know, the mayor says, you know, this is what is, uh, you know, kind of shows that you know, we're, we're good here. But, you know, also we're not going to show it to you. So, yeah, that. Yeah. You, you think he would be, be be anxious to kind of release that? I guess some of the issue we, you know, the reasoning for not releasing it was there were some um, unfounded allegations in there that, that they didn't want 
public, but um, you would think that that if it, it clears up some of this matters, they would be anxious to release what they could anyway to kind of clear it up. So, and then Joe, I, I you've touched on it. Um, you were at the meeting the other night. How difficult must it be now to do business in Southampton Village when you, the village administrator and the mayor, have to deal with each other on a daily basis? Um, and this lawsuit is hanging out there. And 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 by the way. I think it's also important to point out that in the in the none of this is happening in a vacuum theme. This is an election year for the mayor. And and he has openly stated that he thinks a lot of this stuff is political. But um, it is a, a factor here. I mean, this stuff is all happening in a year when the mayor's going to have to run for reelection. But I'm just thinking of the day to day having to get the job uh, done of of running the village. Uh it's got to be a very difficult task right now. Yeah, but I, I, I'm pretty sure one of the board members, I think it might have even been the deputy mayor, deputy mayor said at one point during the meeting that the mayor doesn't talk to us. So, you know, how much you know communication is going on between uh, the mayor's, you know, supposedly kind of, you know, the leader of this village, the face of the village, and the rest of um, the trustees who are all seemingly on the same page. Um, you know, you know, as we saw in that December storm, um, when uh, there's obviously some kind of miscommunication or lack of communication because uh, they seemingly weren't talking to each other. And the mayor says he was here working and everyone else was saying that they couldn't reach him and he wasn't doing anything. So it's like, well, what was what was going on? How come these people can't just get a hold of each other? And and, you know. and that was significant. They needed him to um to, to issue a state of emergency, uh, there was some flooding and road issues and 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 all right. that. And um, he he did eventually, I guess through through an email, instructed the the village attorney to to file that state of emergency. But it was an emergency. I mean, as 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 you could you know, tell from the term state of emergency. And if you can't get a hold of the mayor um, during that, that uh, you know that speaks of an issue. I think. Yeah, and it's interesting too, just how. I'm I sorry, mean, Yeah, I was going to say, you know, as this, I'm definitely just getting to know these people, you know, some of these uh, characters involved. But the mayor is, I, I mean, he is uh, 100%, you know, out there to defend himself. I mean, uh, you, know, you, you know, I think most times we see some kind of litigation, the first initial response for somebody is to say, well, I'm not going to comment on pending litigation. And he kind of tried to almost go on the offensive. and. Yeah. Um, Mayor, yeah, Warren so is, I, I, Mayor, Mayor Warren is not a I'm going to withhold comment kind of guy. No. Yeah, that seems to be the case. <laughs> Denise, I wanted to ask you, you had mentioned Riverhead and they have had their issues up there with dysfunction as well. In all serious, seriousness, though, this this stuff takes a toll, right? I mean, you know, it, it takes a toll on the ability of of an elected government to, to do the, the business okay. it needs to get done. I, it makes you think about like why is <clears throat> excuse me why like why is government so broken everywhere you look right I mean there's just so much like squabbling and backbiting and arguing all the time and it's like we have people on the our board that are barely talking to each other um, well or are barely talking to the supervisor let me say um, and. Um, Except for like, you know, in private conversations, private conversations off the record, you know, so it's like it, it, it I know that it got um, like things got under her skin back in last summer this, when she called me up one Saturday morning and just like went off on about a couple of councilmen and, and the, the good old boys network in Riverhead. And, uh, you know, she said all kinds of things. Um, which I dutifully recorded and 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 reported, <laughs> um, but um, you know, and they shot right back at her. I mean, I, everywhere you look, you know, there's all kinds of brokenness. And I, you know, the bottom line is, it doesn't really. I mean, it doesn't. It it prevents government from functioning the way it should be functioning in the public interest, right? I mean, maybe I'm just naive, but you know, like no, absolutely, they, that's their job, and they need to like act like uh grown-ups <laughs> and work together you know um, you know Bill, and they need we to also be able to criticize one another too i think that's a factor here with oh, i don't absolutely. know what's going on in the village out there but like 
you know, what I see is that people can't like some people can't even take being questioned. You know, right. there's, there's a lack of respect and, and a lack um, of well, the ability well, to take criticism. And, we, and give we, criticism. We've, we've, we've said it a million times. We're living in a social social media world now where where that that sniping has has become the norm and has filtered from 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 social media from the ether in into reality and i think those attitudes where you can come in and just spout off and say anything you want about anybody like you do on social media now you say that in person and the reality is is that it, it does ruffle feathers and it hurts feelings and 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 creates acrimony and um and and things stop i think things just come to a stop you know well, Bill, I in washington <laughs> So yeah. I feel I wanted to draw a, a contrast. Yeah. Uh, we had an express sessions event this week in West Hampton Beach, uh, West Hampton Beach Village. It was basically a look back at all of the work they've done uh, to get sewers put in to the main uh, business district there and also to really remake Main Street, the entire business district. Um, that's a village board that I think is exactly the opposite. They have, and and the amount that they have been able to get done in the last couple of years has been remarkable. And it's because their board and their mayor are working together and keeping their eyes on the prize that, that there's things that need to get done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, you know, it, I've, I've been covering the, the board for a little while. And if you, you ask any member of that board, um, you know, about what they've been able to accomplish the last few years. And it's incredible. It's a complete renaissance of the village, a complete transformation to, to a single one. They, they don't they don't point to any single board member. They don't you know, and, and this includes the mayor who could certainly stand up and, and take a bow. And, and her first response is always it's we have a cohesive board. We work together. I was asking her about it at the express sessions on 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 Thursday and and you know and, and brought this point up and she says you know we've got republicans on the board we've got democrats on the board we don't talk about that stuff we talk about the village and how we're going to get things done and you know and, and look granted you know it's, it's a smaller it's a smaller village and a pretty self-contained village and maybe that makes a difference that it, it's a little easier to to get things done um but getting things done is, is what they do there and they've really demonstrated that they got the sewer project done sewers you know i lived in west hampton beach for you know for over 20 years they they talked about sewers you know as long as i was there and somebody in the audience at the express session said they've been talking about sewers for 60 years and nobody could ever get it done i mean it was too much money and how do you do it and where do you do it and where do you draw the lines and 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 this and that and and they got lucky and and that cpf came along and they were able to get some cpf money for it and they got lucky that they were able to tie into you know to the um the um sewer plant at Kabreski airport but they had a forward they had a forward motion they got it done they all agreed this is what we're going to get what we're going to do they had a vision for the village um you know and 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 they've accomplished it and uh and i don't think they're done um, you know, I, I think that um, now that uh, that Main Street's been revitalized, now that they've got a sewer district, um, I think they're really going to keep looking at growth in the district and and uh, and keep moving forward. And it's 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 refreshing to see that when you look at some of the other villages. And I'm not pointing a finger specifically at, at Southampton. I think you you see disagreements on all the village and, and town boards, but. But they they seem to realize there that what it comes down to is making the village better for the village residents and for the businesses in the village. And and Beth, I, I wonder if it doesn't start to to require a new definition of the term leadership. That that sometimes it's not about being brash and and being out there. It's just about quietly sort of getting the job done and working with your colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's what it should always kind of be about, and and really taking ownership of your own decisions as well. Um, yeah, interesting yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. This is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Uh, our our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Joe Workmeister from Newsday. And Beth, when we talk about getting something done. Uh, we're on the cusp of maybe seeing 
some uh, the completion of another project that I think a year or two ago we we might have thought was was going to be really out of reach, but that's yeah. the uh, preservation of John Steinbeck's house in Sag Harbor Village, and and they're moving forward at a pretty good clip now, right? And it seems like this this is is feasible. It's it looks like it may come to pass. Yeah, it's it's uh, really remarkable. Um, uh, when uh, John Steinbeck lived in Sag Harbor for um, the last years of his life, um, I'm not sure what year he passed away, but in the 60s at some point. Um, and uh, he wrote, uh, he received the Nobel Prize while he was living there. Um, and his house, uh, it's a little cottage on the upper Sag Harbor Cove. It went on the market for 17 point something million dollars two years ago. At the time, everybody was kind of blown away at the price. Um, it's come down to, I think, 14.5 million now. Which and is still, it's still above what that property would probably get um, just for the property that it is, right? I mean, you right. know. Yeah, it's like a 1,200 square foot house, but um, it does include this little uh, octagonal writing cottage on the uh on the point there that uh, that Steinbeck did a lot of his writing in, and it's it's tiny, but it's you know a part of history, and uh, that's one of the big things. The, the Sag Harbor Partnership, um, the Michener Center for Writers at the University of Texas, and Southampton Town are working together to turn it into a, um, a writer's residency um, place, um, and they're going to be using uh, community preservation fund money to buy the development rights on the property. Um, the Purpose is historic preservation. Um, that is something they haven't had the vote yet. They had a public hearing on Tuesday of this past week. Uh, a lot of writers came. A lot of people spoke in favor. I think one person questioned the questioned the ticket price. The uh, the uh, they're looking to use eleven million dollars of CPF money. So that's quite a bit of money. Um, and uh, they are still hashing out the access agreement for the public because they really want to make sure that. The public can access it in the winter time when they're not sure if they're going to be having residencies there. So that's that's one of the interesting things about this is if we're going to spend and and by the way, eleven million dollars is not only the bulk of the purchase price. I mean that that's you know most of the purchase price, but it's also a significant outlay of taxpayer funds for this property. And the point is. With the CPF, the whole the whole point of buying and preserving property is supposed to be that the public gets access to that property, and right. that's not necessarily at the forefront of what they want to do with this property, right? They want it to be an artist's retreat, uh, artist singular, I believe. They want to sort of give a writer through the University of Texas an opportunity to come out there and write for, for the summer. Right, right, yeah. And so, so it doesn't really have a public access. Uh, that part of what they're working out right now is that I think town officials really want there to be some type of public access, and they and they really want uh, local schools to have access, and and you know that kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. Um, having students come through there, they're they're going to have three open house weekends per year on like uh, long holiday weekends, and um, it'll be open by appointment on Saturdays, but you have to make an appointment. Um, but they don't have any wintertime access, or they, they didn't as of Tuesday. Um, but they're hoping to get this hammered out by uh, Valentine's Day, their next meeting. Um, That's, and, and, I mean, it looks, it looks promising that the, yeah. the town board's going to approve approve the funding. And I, I have to admit that when this first came up, I thought, well, a laudable goal. I'm like, well, that's no way that that this is going to happen. This is just impossible. It's it's too much money for you know for too little property and and all that. But I'm really happy that that it it does seem to you know have worked out and and it certainly is a public benefit. It's not you know you think of community preservation fund, you think of open space, but it's about it's about preserving history too. And I think there's a, a you know, a tremendous historical element to to this property that that he was there and and he wrote you know, um, you know he he wrote his masters you know one at least at least one or two masterpieces there that that led to no you know him winning the Nobel Prize and that was all right in Sag Harbor and it's just amazing that that um, that the community really got behind this 
um, you know, led the charge and, and that it looks like it's going to happen. It's just, it's amazing. It also, was there a fear? I'm sorry. I was going to ask, what was there kind of a fear when this first went on the market that somebody was going to come in and buy it and just bulldoze it down and yeah, absolutely. Up, uh, yeah, absolutely. Seven story. Uh, I think Joe, tower. it's the classic teardown property in the yeah. sense that it, the house that's on there, the, the very modest cottage that the Steinbecks had on there, would come down in a heartbeat and somebody would build something about eight times that size if they probably, you well, know, I, they have, I think, it, I think it was subdividable as, as well. Yeah. I mean, okay. yeah. It could have been a few different, you know, properties or it's waterfront. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. there. I, ironically, the one thing that I think kept that from happening was the price tag, because I think it carried a, a premium price tag because of what kind of property it was. And if you were somebody who wanted to come in and put your own imprint on the property and make it yours, you know, you had to be willing to sort of pay that premium price to do it. Nobody, at least in the beginning, did. But Bill, you know, you said it. I mean, when Kathleen Zoka, who is the co-owner of Canio's Books in Sag Harbor Village, I think it was on our podcast yeah. uh, when she actually sort of pitched the idea for the first time that that I had heard, you know, about doing this. I mean, it was like, oh, that would be really wonderful. But when it went on the market at the price it did. It just seemed yeah. like I, I think. I, I think initially, before the town got involved, I mean, they were talking about creating this partnership and and somehow raising seventeen million dollars to buy this property, and 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 that certainly wasn't going to uh, wasn't going to happen. Yeah, so it's great stuff, and it's uh, you know it just goes to show that sometimes even the long shots pay off, and and uh, when you when you do the legwork and you do the diligence, you, you know, you can get stuff done. And another victory for the CPF. Yeah, absolutely. No question. So who, who's who's going to write the uh, next great American novel there? That's we'll find out. Um, you know, it's interesting that the litany of writers who turned out to support this idea. Um, I know Jay McInerney actually came to the hearing and spoke, but Colson Whitehead, uh, you know, Sag Harbor has such a great literary history. And so uh, I think this really uh, goes a long way towards towards helping remind people about Sag Harbor's literary history. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's a worthwhile project, no question. So I, I want to switch gears for a second. And I want to talk about another story, Denise, that, that you had this week. You know, part of what we do as local journalists is, is report on breaking news. And sometimes those stories are a lot more compelling than others. And you had a particularly compelling story this week about a fire that took place in Polish town in Riverhead. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry, very compelling because, but for the fact that a highway crew uh, was working on a sidewalk in on Pulaski Street, a block east of this fire, um, it's very, very likely that two people would have perished in, in the fire. It was mm. extremely fast moving. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, and um, the, there it was a highway crew setting bricks and fixing curbing on Pulaski Street. Two of the members of that crew are, were veteran Riverhead uh, volunteer firefighters. Wow, what a, what a break that is, too. <clears throat> and um, yeah, well, that was the whole, you know, that was the whole ball of wax, really. I mean, they, um, uh, a worker in an insurance a storefront insurance office that's been there forever on Pulaski Street. Um, her desk like faces the street and she looked up and saw what she described to me as what looked like a very tall, bright candle in mm. in the window of the upstairs apartment over this uh, Western Union uh, store. And um, what time of day was this, Denise? Um, it was shortly after 9 a.m. She had so just opened. Yeah, she had just opened the store, uh, the office. <clears throat> she saw this and then it got brighter and she realized, you know, oh, my goodness, that's a fire. Um, and she ran outside. She had seen the highway crew working when she got to work and um, she ran outside and, you know, screamed to them. And um, the firefighters, you know, that saw what was happening because you could see the flames very quickly licking at the window. Um, and um, they ran over there. Um, 
a barber, the barber next door to the insurance company, Polish Town has, for those who are not familiar, it's got its own little kind of downtown area with a lot of uh, shops and things that were traditionally Polish uh, owned shops. And the barber uh, came out with a, a fire extinguisher and uh, the woman in the insurance office ran back in and got their fire extinguisher and they went running over to try to help um but it was way past uh, the point where a fire extinguisher could be um, useful. And the firefighters um, who now, you know, this alarm hadn't even gone out over the radio yet. Um, and they were at the scene and um, they there was just a ton of smoke. The, the, the building was filled with smoke and they ran into the building. They, they When they opened the, the door, they saw a woman on the stairs to the upstairs apartment. And they ran up and got her out. And um, they didn't, she speaks Polish, I guess. And they didn't understand what she was saying. But then one of the firefighters heard someone banging on a window upstairs. Oh, he looked up and he saw this woman in the window. So they, as he put it, we held our breath and ran back up the stairs into this burning apartment. Uh, I mean, the level of, of uh, bravery. Terrible. Just yeah, that, yeah, that they had to, to do that. I mean, I said, you know, did you think, wait, maybe we really shouldn't be doing this? We don't have, you know, protective gear on or oxygen tanks or anything. And they said they didn't even think about it. They just ran. We just, we didn't think, we just acted. And um, they ran in and they found her in the smoke um, and, and got her down. And, and the, um, you know, neither, neither one of the people were, injured the firefighters weren't injured thank goodness the woman who lives in the upstairs apartment uh lost one of her cats um so the two women apparently um according to friends of theirs um pray together every morning in the woman the downstairs woman's apartment she lives in an apartment downstairs and one lives upstairs and the woman who lives downstairs has trouble some trouble walking they're both you know sort of elderly and um so they would pray together every morning and um they uh while they were praying this fire broke out and the woman who lives upstairs went upstairs to try to get her cats uh -huh. and then the, uh, the other woman managed to follow her at least part of the way up the steps um and that's when you know everything went went crazy and and then the firefighters just like appeared out of nowhere to rescue them so uh, they, have an, they, have an, uh, they have an idea yet what caused the fire? I, no, I don't think it's still, you know, working it out. The fire marshal yeah. was there yesterday. Code enforcement was there. Um, you know, the, the the building is an older building. And the way those buildings were built is something called, a, I'm not clear on exactly what this is, a balloon structure. But there are no, there's like no fire breaks basically so oh. it goes up into the attic right away and you can see i mean my daughter happened to be just passing by and saw the fire when it was just first breaking out no one was there and she got a photo of i mean the flames were coming out the window at that point but by the time uh peter got my husband peter got there it's a family business we're not media moguls like you guys <laughs> <laughs> but by the time peter got there which was five minutes later okay um according to the timestamps on the photo it was just completely going wild like it was just completely consuming the upper floor oh, of the right. building. i don't know oh. how these guys got in and out of there but, but uh, right just God, in time just in time it looks yeah. like right i mean yeah, another I mean, minute and it they literally were working on the next corner on, on pulaski street uh this would have been a, had a very different ending and and that's yeah. one of the firefighters said he just said i just wanted to make sure we didn't have another second street he said referring uh, to that dreadfully fatal fire that yeah. killed five people in november of 2021 that's uh, just he, was, he was one of the first firefighters at the scene that day but that building was completely engulfed in flames and there was nothing that could be done to try to. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking job. at, I'm looking at your story. I'm just going to read their names because they are, they are heroes. It was firefighter Frank Greenwood and first assistant chief J.R. Renton. Um, yeah. Just, I, I just wonderful. Um, just great guys. And, look at and, and if you look at that photo, I said to them, 
come on guys smile <laughs> and they and they go we That's are smiling serious. look at that photo <laughs> that's a smile i don't know uh, but um so the um a friend of or someone that knows these two women uh has set up a gofundme page um and um they're look trying to raise money to uh um you know help them get resettled and and because they lost everything sure. um so you know the thing about it though and and beth we i know you're part of the the community out there that responds in emergencies uh mm -hmm. the fire and ambulance and and all those folks i you know we tell these stories from time to time this one had a happy ending in the sense that no lives were lost because of of the quick action of these two these two guys um which and and real bravery that they showed this is just a reminder of the the people in our community that do this all the time right i mean you know yeah. it's it's remarkable to me how this community relies on neighbors helping neighbors uh to get mm -hmm. out of situations like that and people show great bravery and 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 courage all the time when when these kinds of situations arrive yeah and i think it's also a really good testament i mean there are a lot of fire districts out here where the people aren't the people who are in the fire department don't work in the fire district um they you know a lot of people they work in the hamptons or they're working somewhere else the fact that these people are in this in this fire department and they're working in the town where they um also it's serve is uh is becoming more and more rare it's a great and point and, and one of the reasons that you want to keep people you know if you can find you know jobs for people who live in the community and allow the people to live in the community where they work these are the kind of synergies that that start to pay off because you have neighbors in the neighborhood at a time when when there's a, a real need for them. Another thing that goes back to the subject we find ourselves talking about week after week is affordable housing. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's it, without without folks like that, um, and they both emphasize to me that they they really emphasize that. Any one of the firefighters in the fire department, they said, would have done exactly the same thing. He said, it, it's their training. It's like, that's what we're trained to do. We just follow our training, you know? And it's hard for someone like me, who's not a firefighter, to imagine summoning the courage to just like run into a building like that to save someone's life, because that takes so much. Um, so, yeah. Tip of the, tip you know, of can't the hat. Them enough. Absolutely. I'm sure it's probably probably a, a good thing not to think about it too much in that situation. I, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you, they, they want to just react and not. Yeah, be, yeah in, in your training, right. you're doing to it with your degree. gear on. And, uh, yeah. The training just gets It's ironic because the stuff that they did is probably stuff that firefighters would discourage people from doing, right? Going into burning buildings and, but but sometimes yeah, if you're not if you're things, not trained, yeah. I mean, yeah, my, some, my son had a dryer fire at his girlfriend's house once and he he told he called me after he got all the animals out and said aren't you proud of me and i said you know i'm not i'm no sh I, no <laughs> never do that again just get yourself <laughs> out. Get out yeah yeah um well it's 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 an amazing story denise and and i love when we get a chance to tell those stories because you know um there there are certain situations like that where people really deserve uh, people need to know that these people are in their communities, and, mm -hmm. and it's it's important Absolutely. that. So, well, well done on your part too. Uh, it's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Joe Workmeister from Newsday. Uh, we were talking about uh, the Greenport Theater went up for sale this week and this is interesting beth right there's there's a tell tell us about the situation yeah it was actually a couple of weeks ago they um they put the uh, owner of the theater put it up for sale he's he's um uh i, th I believe he's the ceo of amc um mm. and he's retiring he lives on shelter island he's owned the theater for quite some time and uh there's been a group uh, called the Manhattan Film Institute that's uh, worked really closely with him in the past on like doing screening programs there and, what, and whatnot. And he's been in, in conversations with them in the past, but the people involved are very busy with making movies and whatnot um, so about the future of this theater. And then he said, no, I'm putting it on the market. Um, 
if you guys can come up with a million dollars, start a nonprofit, um, get a, get a board together, um, find a way to make this sustainable for the long run. But we're gonna we can turn it into a community nonprofit arts center. But we got to get the ball rolling, and uh, getting having it put on the market really got the ball rolling. And now they've got uh, eight people on the board. They raised uh, a quarter million dollars in pledges in like ten days. Uh, they've got a website, uh, nofoartcenter.org, and um, they're looking to do all kinds of programming there. They've got musicians who want to do a benefit concert, so um, it's really kind of coalesced really quickly. Uh, this is part of a theme, right, that, that <laughs> villages villages are, are sort of looking to, um, and when we say the theater, the, the Greenport Theater, what are we talking about here? This was it was a, a cinema, yeah. Cinema, yeah. A four-screen cinema, yeah. And and I think this is becoming but becoming an issue in a, in a lot of communities on the East End um, where the cinemas are, are maybe not as profitable as they once were. Um, but the, there's a push on in, in many cases to sort of use this as a building block. Um, and Sag Harbor is obviously sort of the... the uh, the prime example of that with SAG Cinema after the fire they had a few years ago, five years ago, um, they were able to rebuild the, the SAG Harbor Cinema in a way that that really turned that into a centerpiece of the local arts community. And it's it's really thrived since then. And it's it's the way I think, you know, we're seeing those kinds of conversations in a, in a bunch of different communities now. It, it's, it's a model that, I mean, it... it it dates back, I and mean, we were talking about West Hampton Beach earlier, and, and they created the Performing Arts Center out of the old movie theater there 25 years ago or or, or so, um, and 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 really that that became the anchor of, of the village for a long time. That brings people into the village, you know, at times not necessarily during the, the summer season, but the summer season as well, and really gets people, you know, gets a lot of foot traffic. Patchogue, um, you know, with with their theater there, they renovated their theater, and and that kicked off the the the, the renaissance in in, in Patchogue twenty twenty some odd years ago. It's really a model of if, if these little villages and and Suffolk Theater in in, in Riverhead has has been um, to to one level one level or another trying to trying to do the same thing. These villages that can have these theater performing arts centers where you you know you bring in you know you bring in different acts and, and stuff and film and and get people into the village at times where they wouldn't necessarily be at, at other times i mean you can really see a, a tremendous growth in in the in the downtown areas absolutely and, and that conversation is is taking place in for instance southampton village where right. uh the movie theater um was recently purchased but there, there's still a lot of question about what's happening with, with that um, building. It was recently landmarked by the village uh, th because it has been a theater there for since I believe it was the 30s, uh, the 1930s. Um, and the facade hasn't really changed much over the years. Uh, it's sort of a historic part of the community. But there, there is a conversation about trying to do something similar there about a, a performing arts center. But, you know... It, Beth, that, that that's that is a model that works, right? You, you've we've seen communities take a negative, which is a, a basically a space that that goes up on the market because uh, movie theaters maybe aren't as profitable as they once were. But you take that and you turn it into something broader with a little bit more scope, and and it becomes a centerpiece. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, one of the downsides of turning a cinema into a performing arts center is really the stages in cinemas are very small because they usually don't use them they just use the screen so that's one of the one of the impetuses behind the suffolk theater's expansion right now because their stage is not very deep their dressing rooms are in a trailer behind the building um and they can't really attract any big acts because like there's just the stage no room i mean they stage. expanded the stage when they converted it from a movie theater yeah. but they didn't have the space to really make it deep enough to stage productions, to stage concerts. They have no backstage. They have no wings, no green room. You know, these are essential things too. And I mean, I was um, involved in trying to uh, turn the theater into a performing arts center many years ago. 
Um, and um, when the town first bought it, actually, or shortly after the town first bought it, and that I mean, that was always the idea. They always it was always the idea to expand the back of the theater to try to raise money to do that. Um, but it's very, very expensive. And um, then the town sold it. And the theater owner, you know, has always wanted to do this. He told me, you know, that's been our dream. But again, you know, really expensive. And he's planning on adding that mixed use five story building as an extension with the the backstage, et cetera, you know, to help support the theater because it, they're difficult to sustain. Um, yeah. It's really tricky. I mean, and movie theaters by themselves have gotten even trickier. I was interested to see in I think it was the Suffolk Times. I don't know if you covered this, Beth, but the um, the Mattatuck Theater, uh, the owner of Lucharitos uh, has converted some of the theater rooms in there um, to for axe throwing. Well, that's uh, entertainment. <laughs> no. that's, a, that's a new that's a, a, a new thing, right? Thing. Yeah, axe throwing. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, uh, another thing that's gaining yeah. in popularity are are smash rooms. It's rooms where you it's places where you go and you pay money to smash things up. I read something the other day. There's a primal oh, scream in. group that meets like on a beach down here. And they just yeah. show up at five o'clock and they all scream and then they leave, I guess. I haven't been there. I assume that's what happened. How'd you like to, ha to have a house on that beach front? Yeah. All right. I'm sure the complaints will. Oh, that's going straight to the town board. I mean, I just feel like it's an example of how to assist, to stay in business. You really have to be willing to adapt and be creative. Um, sure. As we all know, as in the news business, right? Um, we're we're doing things and things are happening in this industry that we never would have imagined uh, 10, 15 years ago. Probably. It's a weird time for everybody. Let's just put it that yeah. way. So uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. And our panelists are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon, and Joe Workmeister of Newsday. So we have a couple of minutes left. And I, Bill, I wanted to talk about uh, a report that came out this week about the scallop population. And Stony Brook University has been, has been studying the scallop die-off that we've seen the last couple of years. And we got a report from Dr. Christopher Gobler and his folks uh, this week that that is a little bit dire in the sense that it suggests, first of all, it, it, it basically points the finger at climate change as the reason that the scallops, uh, the scallop populations ha has been decimated. But it also suggests that it may not recover. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know that there was any, any huge surprises there. And it was. Um, it, it was a, a paper that uh, the, they were talking about a paper that was published in a peer reviewed scientific journal um, called Global Change Biology. But basically, I mean, so so we're all familiar with the scallop die offs over 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 the recent years um, that began, I, I think, four or five years ago. Um, um, where, where just the scallop populations have been decimated, um, but but luckily the uh, you know the they they were able to, um, uh, to to breed and and so there were baby scallops until this past year, um, but there had been a lot of hypothesis about what was causing that warmer waters uh, parasites um, predators and all that, but but this paper pretty much says yeah it was it's just it's just climate change it's just it's warmer water, which um, you know, which which uh, raises the, um, the the nitrogen level in the water, and and basically that's that's the cause. They reproduced it in a lab. They hook up the scallops with these little they call them Fitbits to uh, scallop really Fitbits to, to yeah, really neat to monitor <laughs> monitor their heart rates and and when they you know when when they um, when they warmed the, the the oxygen levels in the water and warmed the water, then these heart these um, these scallops they would see an increase in in the heart rate, and you know it's just the the combination of of the warmer waters and and the oxygen levels. Um, you know they they just uh, one or the other they could survive, but but put them together and um, um, you know and they can't. They so they mimicked the conditions of the heat waves that we've had over over the last few years and. And the conclusion, Joe, as, as you as you said, pointed out that 
it just may be an end to the scallop population on on east end waters that 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 they you know that that they're they're going to survive more in cooler cooler northern climates and i think that's really discouraging discouraging and disappointing the warm water in and of itself may be enough to to end the population's ability to survive and they pointed in the study to uh the lobsters and and the fact that lobsters are really they they used to be abundant in waters this far south but not so much anymore and it's partly because and I, i was struck too bill that the study said that you know we know that waters are warming all over the, the world, but that in our region, it's actually worse than in some other areas. Yeah, it's, it's not a it's not a uniform warming, apparently. And, and yet yeah, so so the East End is is seeing some of the 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 worst worst warming around, which um, is, is another another scary thing. Yeah, it, it just goes to show you the impacts of this stuff are not across the board, you know, you're going to see some areas more impacted than others. And unfortunately, this is one way uh, that our region seems to be more severely impacted than, than other places. So, and, so I'm looking at it now and it, it's um, so, so since 2001, um, uh, temperatures in the Northeast and Eastern Long Island in particular have seen average temperatures rise at a rate more than three times the global average in that 21 year period. So it just goes to show, I mean, it, you know, it it could be the end of an era uh, and, and that would be a very sad thing. And obviously the, the Peconic Bay scallops uh, were a big part of the, the local fishery for many generations. And, and I think they're still researching it and they had found some scallops that escaped, you know, the die-offs and they're hoping that maybe they've got a a different DNA or stronger DNA that would help them survive the low oxygen and, and the heat. Um, but I, they didn't seem very um, um, optimistic. Water quality, again, being a big part of that equation as well and something we've got to deal with. So we're out of time for this week. Uh, good, lively conversation on a lot of topics. Appreciate you guys uh, joining us this week. I want to thank our panelists, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Beth Young of the East End Beacon and Joe Workmeister from Newsday. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bill Sutton, my co-host, thank you again, as always, for being here with me. Thank thank you, Joe. Thank you, guys. Great show. And I'm Joe Shaw. We'll be back here next week with Behind the Headlines. Thank you all.